You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Penny Chris Etherton, distinguished professor of nutrition at Penn State University, and we're going to be talking about Cholesterol Awareness Month. Dr. Etherton, welcome to Lipid Luminations. Thank you. It seems that pretty much everyone I know is aware of their cholesterol. Do we really need to increase awareness in the general population, or are they quite knowledgeable? Well, I do think a lot of people know their cholesterol levels, but I think it's important for people to stay on top of this because cholesterol levels do change due to a lot of factors, changes in body weight, changes in age. So I still think that since it is a major risk factor for heart disease, uh, it should be top of mind and people should be well aware of it. What would you say is the current targeted cholesterol in 2008 and realizing that the guidelines change frequently? Well, current recommendations for total cholesterol are less than 200 milligrams per deciliter. And in terms of LDL cholesterol, the recommendation is less than 100 milligrams per deciliter. And if you're at high risk for heart disease, if you have diabetes, then the lower you go, the better. And people should really try hard to get their LDL under 70 milligrams per deciliter. Dr. Atherton, if you look at a bell-shaped curve of cholesterol levels in our society, 95% of them are going to be considered abnormal. So how can they be abnormal if that's really normal? Well, you're absolutely right. In fact, the average cholesterol level in the United States now hovers around 205, 203 or so milligrams per deciliter. But clearly, we know that if we can really decrease it, a number of studies, both secondary prevention and primary prevention studies, have shown that decreasing cholesterol decreases risk of heart disease. I'm glad you brought that up because on the other side, I know of at least 18 dietary intervention trials that showed no reduction at all in coronary heart disease mortality that was attributed to using saturated fat restriction. So there's a lot of studies saying it's great, and there's studies out there that's saying it's not really making a huge impact. Well, we do know that there are some cholesterol-raising nutrients, and saturated fat you know, is really at the forefront there, as well as trans fat and dietary cholesterol. When a number of meta-analyses have been done by Menzika Katan and Brian Clark and Mark Hickstead at Harvard, there is a dose-response relationship between saturated fat and LDL cholesterol. So I think taking into account the vast majority of evidence, there is a pretty much of a consistent dose-response relationship. Of course, there would be some individual studies out there that might not show as much of an effect or maybe, in fact, no effect, depending upon the experimental conditions, depending upon the control diet. But in general, I think if we have one thing to hang our hat on, it's that message that saturated fat does raise blood cholesterol levels and LDL cholesterol in particular. Let's go overseas to the French. We've heard of the French paradox for many years. And if someone hasn't heard of it, it's really that the French have almost twice the amount of, of saturated fat as we do, yet they have less than half the rate of coronary vascular disease. And there have been many people trying to explain that away by either 
their wine intake or their lifestyle or something else, but yet here is this fact in front of us. How do you explain that away? Well, just as you've said, I think that there are a lot of other factors that are coming into play here. And I think one huge one is just lifestyle and portion size. And you just don't see the rate of obesity in France that you do in the United States. So even though the French may have their high-fat, high-saturated-fat cheeses, they're not eating a whole lot of them, whereas in the United States, portion sizes are a lot bigger, and, you know, the the incidence of obesity and diabetes is a lot Mm. higher here, too. So bigger is not better, and biggie sizing is definitely not good for our society. Not at all. In fact, it's one of the root causes of obesity, and then that's a major cause of type 2 diabetes. And as we know, that that's a cardiovascular risk equivalent. What if Americans just don't have the gene that allows them to tell their bodies that they're full? And the French do. I know it's a simple explanation, but they really, the French apparently have some sort of internal cue that says, okay, I'm done. I don't have to finish everything on the plate. Well, and a lot of it, I think, is mindset, too, where the French really enjoy their food. And they don't just eat, but, you know, dinner time and meal time is just a very special event. They dine. They know how to dine. That's it. And Americans, on the other hand, And they don't sit in front of the TV, and they perhaps walk home. That's it, exactly. I'd like to still talk about other populations because I I find them fascinating. If we move over to population in East Africa, the Maasai, they live on fat-rich milk. They can eat up to 5 kilograms of fatty beef in a sitting, and their cholesterols are below 160, and they don't get coronary artery disease. So, again... I'm confused. Yeah. Well, now that's a population that doesn't live as long as we do, but also they're out in the fields all day. And maybe there's a genetic component as well there. Would you agree that we really are hunter-gatherers and we do not do well with abundance? Our bodies cannot process all of this extra energy. Most certainly. And in fact, I think that the way Mother Nature made us was to be able to deal with all the famines out there so that I think, you know, we're susceptible to depositing fat and being able to sustain times of no food at all. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and my guest today is Dr. Penny Chris Etherton, Distinguished Professor of Nutrition at Penn State University, and this is Cholesterol Awareness Month. And Dr. Etherton, What are the current guidelines for physical activity so we can be more like our hunter-gatherer ancestors? Yes. Well, the new guidelines were just released in 2007, and these are updated recommendations for adults from the American College of Sports Medicine and the American Heart Association. And the new guidelines are that all healthy adults ages 18 to 65 need moderate-intensity aerobic physical activity for a minimum of 30 minutes on five days a week or vigorous intensity aerobic physical activity for a minimum of 20 minutes on three days each week. And then you can, you know, have a permutation and combination of that recommendation. But also, every adult should perform activities to maintain or increase muscular strength and endurance, a minimum of about 
two days each week. And are we actually doing that as a society? No. Failing miserably? We most certainly are. Can we talk a little bit more about some other societies, if you don't mind? Let's go to the islands of the South Pacific. And there's one island I've been reading about lately, that which has piqued my curiosity, which is called Kitava. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But they have an enormous amount of saturated fat in terms of coconut oil. And once again, no coronary artery disease. So is it the same thing that they are just exercising and there's other environmental things we're not aware of? I would go so far as to say yes. Now, I'd, I'd want to take a look at that society, but I would take a look at the rate of diabetes and obesity. I would look at cigarette smoking. I'd look at blood pressure, just other risk factors overall in that society. But in general, oh, I think a couple of years ago, National Geographic had a special issue out that talked about uh, societies in, that enjoyed longevity. And all of those that had a high number of centurions were physically active. And so I think that just being very active can, can markedly decrease risk of heart disease. One of the things no one ever talks about, it's almost like the dirty little secret, is the air quality. If you go to the South Pacific, there's no pollution. And if you go to any other part of the world, there's enormous pollution with ultrafine particulate matter and diesel fumes. And all of these have currently been shown to trigger inflammation and potentially lead to atherosclerosis. And oxidative stress as well. Right. So it's not as simple as what you eat. It's where you live. But let's get back to things we can do to help our patients that are living here in the United States and Canada, if they're listening. What resources are available to actually help our patients lower their cholesterol? Well, in terms of patients, I suggest that they go to www.learnyourlipids.com. And then physicians should go to www.lipid.org. And I'd also like to recommend that physicians use the American Heart Association website. There are some wonderful resources there for patients or some fabulous cookbooks. And then there are some, you know, online materials that they can use to figure out how many calories they need and to figure out how much fat they should be eating and saturated fat. And then also two other resources I think are really good. Go to National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Oh, there's one of my favorite resources there, in addition to, you know, all the patient materials that they have. It's called Portion Distortion Quiz, and, oh, it's a wonderful little PowerPoint presentation that shows people, you know, how how much portions have increased over the years. And then if they eat these bigger portions, how much physical activity they have to engage in to burn off those calories. And then finally, I, I think an excellent resource is to go to mypyramid.gov and go inside the Food Guide Pyramid, and it has all sorts of wonderful materials that your patients can use. So, for example, they can plug in their height and weight and gender and level of physical activity, and you know, then they can find out how many calories they need a day, and then they can you know, cruise through the pyramid and try to design a, a diet that will help meet their calorie needs. What are some of the dietary tricks or pearls that you use in your daily life that may not be mainstream or, or that people aren't aware of? Well, of 
course, I try and watch calories, and I do that by watching portions and trying not to snack too much, not to eat too many extras. And, you know, I watch my saturated fat, so I choose lean meats and low-fat dairy products. I try very hard to eat fish twice a week. I think whole grains are important and lots of fruits and vegetables. And you can fill up on fruits and vegetables and still watch your calories. And I try to watch my fiber as well. I try to watch sodium, too, because in addition to high blood cholesterol levels, there are other risk factors that we have to pay attention to, and that's blood pressure. Well, on that note, Dr. Penny Chris Etherton of Penn State University, thank you so much for coming on Lipid Luminations. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.